Ezekiel, chapter 37, verse 1. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones, and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up, and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord, when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. Thanks, Dave. Morning, everyone. Happy birthday to you. I'm not going to sing, don't worry. Um, it would uh, be great if you could keep that uh, Bible reading from Ezekiel open in front of you. Um, and as uh, we dig into it on this anniversary Sunday, let me pray for us. Our Father God, we uh, thank you for this, your church, and the opportunity for us to look back uh, at these last six years, but also to look forward this morning as we gather here in your name and round your word. Please give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation that we might know you better. And please enlighten the eyes of our hearts that we might know also the hope, riches, and power which you have given us in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. 
Well, I haven't watched it for a while, but I wonder if, if you have. Um, Question of Sport was one of my favorite shows when I was a lad. And uh, the thing I particularly loved, I loved the What Happened Next round. Uh, if you've uh, never seen it, it's a really simple co concept. They'd so show you a, a little sporting clip, and then they'd pause it at the crucial moment. And then they would ask the panelists, what happened next? And the panelists would, would chip in with all kinds of wild ideas you know, about what, what happened until, uh, obviously, they gave them the right answer. Do you want to have a go? Of course you do. Right, here we go. Um, uh, it's uh, football that's going to be first up for you. The defender is going to play it back to the goalkeeper. And, oh, there's the pause. What happened next? Um, this, is, this is not a rhetorical question. Come on, come on. Let's, let's have your, have your answers. Shout, shout, hands up, shout out. Um, was that a hand up? No? There's just muttering going on. People are muttering to one another, but they're too, they're not too embarrassed to kind, of, to kind of shout aloud. Any people, that, not, not the music group. You've seen this already. <laughs> Anyone? Come on. Come on. Give me it. Oh, yeah. Tom. I think he's going to kick the ball into the striker and it's going to go in the goal. Okay. Yeah, yeah. No, nice one. You, you've, you've clearly seen this kind of thing before. Um, oh, anyone else? One last one? I mean, Chris Redfern, come on. You're our football man. you got nothing. Play of bees. Yeah, no, no, I love, I love the imagination. That, 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 that is brilliant, brilliant. Jo oh, yeah, 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 Peter. Dog, it does a dog run onto the pitch and hopefully scores a goal with an overhead kick. Let's, let's see, let's, let's play it, go on. So it's back to the keeper. Oh, keeper's had a shocker. Oh. But so is the striker, no! That's how we all feel, isn't it? Look, just to show you just exactly how simple it was. No, not the left foot. Eee. Oh, dear. Hey, do you want to have another go? Of course you do. It's, it's a birthday party after all. Come on, right, here's the second one. This one is a basketball clip, all right? Let's, um, let's see. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll flick it up for you. There he goes. Oh, a little bit of a springboard action. He is off and flying. So go on, folks. Come on, come on. You're, you're in it. You're, yeah, Mark, thanks. Play, please. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. I really hope it is. <laughs> Anyone? He goes through the net. He goes through the net. Oh, wow, wow. Gosh, that's, that's bold. That's bold. Anything else? Any, any other guesses? The net collapses. The net, the net collapses. You know, maybe the, maybe the backboard, the, the glass smashes. It goes everywhere. Right, come on. Let's, let's run it on. Let's find out. Pravin, I wish I had a prize for you. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I don't think you really meant that. Classic, classic. All right, we're gonna we're gonna have a third one, but this time there's 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 no there's no sporting clip actually. The action replay that is gonna happen is gonna happen in your head. Because what I want you to do is review what you were thinking when Ben talked about Life 22, that, that mission. You know, so you thought about, like, let's, 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 let's say, let's be honest, quite, quite frankly, scary prospect of going out into the community and, and handing out leaflets like Anna, Anna does or knocking on people's doors to invite them to church. You know, as you, as you picture that in your mind, ringing someone's doorbell, what happens next? Or you 
give someone a flyer, you, someone at work, a, a friend, colleague, um, family member, you invite them along to those events that are going to be happening the back end of March, start of, start of April. As you do so, as you hand it over, the invite, what happens next? Oh, hey, they say yes, and they come. Wow. But, oh, gosh, scary thought. What, are they going to make a church? What happens next? Is it the spiritual equivalent of missing an open call as you just stumble over it with your left foot or, or going through the net and dunking yourself as well as the ball and making a complete idiot of yourself? I mean, seriously, who on earth is going to respond positively to us as a church going around and ringing their doorbell to invite them to church? Especially this day and age, when Christianity is treated with quite a degree of suspicion, if not disdain. And even if they did come along, you know, why would they want to listen to someone preach like this? I mean, this is strange, isn't it? People sitting, listening to someone else speak for 20-odd minutes. <laughs> what can mere words do anyway? They're just words. The world needs action, not words. I mean, we've seen that this week, haven't we, on the global stage? If any of that describes your what happens next as you think about where we're heading as a church over the next month or so, then you should be really comfortable slipping into the sandals of the Old Testament prophet Ezekiel. As in Ezekiel 37, he receives a much-needed refresher course on what the Word of God and the power of His Spirit can do when they go to work on a human life. God had sent Ezekiel to his people Israel in exile in Babylon to be a watchman, to warn them of a judgment that was coming that was going to be even worse than the exile, the judgment of God. And Ezekiel spoke because he believed God when God said to him, if he didn't, then their blood would be on his hands. When he got that message from God, he had to lie down for a week. He was so shocked by it. In order to conduct this ministry, Ezekiel is given chapter 3, verse 9, a forehead harder than the hardest stone, <laughs> harder than flint. Because in chapter after chapter that follows, the people show absolutely no sign of responding. They couldn't care less about God's message. And so for Ezekiel, this mission must have felt to him like a lot of our evangelism feels to us these days. Like he was banging his head against a brick wall. But God wants Ezekiel and us too to understand the power of his spirit through the preaching of his word. And so the first thing that he shows us unashamedly here in verses 1 to 3 of Ezekiel 37 is a hopeless case. Do you see that there? Verse 1. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and sent me down, and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And if you're a dog... This is heaven, isn't it? This is canine paradise. But if you're a human, it is horrific. The Holy Spirit takes Ezekiel and drops him into the valley of death. Everywhere he looks, for as far as the eye can see, there are skeletons, human remains. 
And the Spirit leads Ezekiel through this graveyard so that he could witness up close just how dry and dead the bones really were. And then the Lord asks Ezekiel a question, doesn't he? Son of man, can these bones live? <laughs> the answer is no, of, of course they can't. Whatever happened to these people? They are way beyond the very best that our glorious NHS could, could, could throw at them. A ventilator, a vaccine, a heart transplant would be utterly of no use to them. Verse 10 tells us that this is actually a defeated army. But more importantly, verse 11 tells us that God is using this army of skeletons as a visual aid to represent to Ezekiel the people of Israel. And the message is clear. This is what people are like without the word of God in the power of a spirit. We are dead. Utterly dead. Ephesians 2 spells it out for us. You and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. By nature, children of wrath, without God and without hope in the world. Some years ago, I heard a preacher talk about how the camera is one of the great enemies of the gospel. Because when we see pictures of children starving, or as I think all of us have seen, uh, people bowed and bloodied through the conflict in Ukraine this week, when we see that our hearts are rightly stirred by it, aren't they? The visual image is so, so powerful. But when we hear of the desperate spiritual state of men and women, our hearts aren't moved quite in the same way, are they? Because we can't see and photograph what is in a human heart. And the tragedy of being without hope and without God in the world. We can't see the, the terror, the horror of spending eternity under the judgment of God in hell. We can't even see the evil that is in our own hearts. And that is why this vision is so important. Here is a picture taken before the advent of the camera. And it's there to show us just how desperate is the plight of men and women, boys and girls, unless we hear God's word spoken in the power of his spirit. We're not just ill or a bit off color. We are dead. We are walking corpses under the judgment of God. Every single one of us, humanly speaking, is a hopeless case. And secondly, we also see here a useless task. As in verse 4, the Lord says to Ezekiel, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live and I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. No evangelist in the whole history of humanity has ever had such an unpromising mission field, have they? 
mean, I thought I'd spoken at some pretty duff events. Uh, like I remember speaking at an old people's home in Glasgow where the vast majority of my listeners were at best asleep, but I suspect some of them might have been comatose. Also remember speaking at a youth event where one of the boys in the back row, how can I say this in an appropriate way for church, he, um, he made a loud exclamation from his rear end. <laughs> Was that dignified? I don't think so. Um, but, but needless to say, all of the kids dissolved into fits of giggles. It was bedlam, and it took ages to draw them back. I also remember once in the cricket team I played in at university, the subject of Christianity was banned in the dressing room because the captain of the cricket team said that my raising of it time and time again was affecting the performances of the team. But those experiences, those experiences were as nothing compared to what Ezekiel was being asked to do. At least my listeners had ears and a pulse. So, so what was the purpose of this exercise in futility? Was it just to reinforce the already hard head of uh, Ezekiel? No. God tells him exactly what he's going to do in verse 5. Thus says the Lord God to these bones through Ezekiel. Behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. I mean, what is going to happen is against every human expectation, isn't it? Like, like if I was to put on the screen here a, a video of Ezekiel uh, uh, speaking at this point, his preaching, and, and to pause it and go, come on guys, what, what happens next? You know, none of, none of you would, would be going, uh, oh, can, can, oh, come on, it's obvious. The bones will rise up and live. No human possibility would be the Lord's possibility. It's a hopeless case and a useless task. But the result, and this is my third point, is an impossible miracle. Because as soon as Ezekiel starts preaching, things start happening. And do you know what's so important here? He did what he was told to do. Uh, do you see that there in verse 7? So I prophesied, Ezekiel says, as I was commanded. <laughs> if it were me, I don't know if it were for you. Everything in my being, would go, oh, what's the point? Seriously, why bother? But Ezekiel says, no, God has told me to speak. So I am going to speak. It looks impossible, but I'm going to do it anyway. So we too need to be obedient children, don't we? We too need to speak, to find the courage to do that. Because as Ezekiel does, there is a loud rattling sound and the bones start coming together and then the, the sinews, the tendons, the ligaments start, start supernaturally covering them and, and the, the flesh grows over them and then finally the skin covering uh, which is obviously so important in a place like Newcastle where we need to be waterproofed. And Ezekiel is faced with, faced with this incredible army of dead people in perfect bodily health. Just think about it. The special effects budget for Ezekiel the movie would have been enormous just for chapter 37. And he's so amazed that he, it looks like he kind of stops preaching. So he's told in verse 9, to prophesy to the breath. In other words, he calls to the Spirit of God 
the spirit of life, the, the wind of God which comes, uh, hovers over all the earth and, and blows from the four corners of it. <laughs> I mean, if this miracle is going to happen, it's only going to be done because the spirit moves. There's nothing magical about Ezekiel. Nothing special about him. Don't need to worry about that. He's not a sorcerer. No, the Holy Spirit who would raise Jesus from the dead and can raise you from death too. That's who's at work here. And so when Ezekiel calls on the Spirit, a miracle happens before his eyes in verse 10. So I prophesied as he commanded me and the breath came into them and they lived and stood on their feet an exceeding great army. So the picture goes from, do you see? Dry, dead bones to a living, breathing army of people through just a few moments of preaching. And I, as I've read this in the past, I've, I've often wondered what this vast army did after Ezekiel left them. Did they kind of wander back home to their homes and family and give them the absolute fright of their life? Sadly, we're not told. But we do know from verses 11 to 14 that Ezekiel is commissioned to go again and preach God's word with fresh conviction to the Israelites, to spiritually dead people who have fallen into unbelief and despair. Verse 11, our bones are dried up, they say, and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. They know it. But Ezekiel is to go and preach without any sense of discouragement of what's gone before. He is to keep telling the people, keep pleading with them, keep warning them of God's judgment to come, to, to turn to the Lord before it's too late because the Lord can bring spiritually dead people back to life. No, actually, more than that. The Lord promises Verse 13, that he's going to open graves. He promises, verse 14, to put his spirit, his life-giving spirit within them to breathe, transforming new life into them. A few years ago, I was in London on the tube, and it seemed like everywhere I looked, there was the new Nike slogan at that time, impossible is nothing. It was on kind of all of the kind of adverts on the, uh, the carriage I was in. And every train tube station that we passed through, there were at least two or three build buildings bearing the same message. Impossible is nothing. I was actually on my way to Wimbledon at the time to watch the tennis. And it kind of got me thinking. Well, I like to watch tennis, but I also like to play tennis. And I, I mean, I'm not that great, but I'm adequate. So maybe, just maybe, you know, with the right gear, with Nike gear, I could enter Wimbledon and upset the phone book and win. I mean, impossible is nothing, right? Wrong. <laughs> impossible is impossible, which is why I stand here as a minister of St. Joseph's, not as a former Wimbledon winner. but not for the Lord God Almighty. For him, impossible really is nothing, nothing at all. That's what we're learning here. 
So let me ask you, who is your impossible person? Who's that person you, 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 you think of and just write off? You know, I could never invite them to, to this life kind of stuff. They, they would never want to hear my testimony. If I was to say, hey, do you, want to, do you want to know why I'm a Christian? They would never want to hear the gospel of Christ. No, not, not in a million years. They'd never accept an invite to these events that we're having. Uh, who's that person who's almost laughable to think of them uh, want, want to hear about Christ, let alone become a Christian? Well, to God, nothing is impossible. Of course you can't do it. I can't do it. We can't convince anyone to become a Christian. We can't answer all their questions and objections. We can't demolish their arguments. We can't persuade them of the danger that they are in. That they're, they're, they're hurtling in a totally deserved way, like we all are, towards a hell-bound eternity. We can't bring dead sinners back to life. But God can. And so as we think of the mission God has called us to as a church, we don't rule anyone or anything out. I mean, remember God's question to Ezekiel in verse 3. You may be worried. Uh, I brushed slightly over this. In the middle of this valley of death, all these bones around. Can these bones live, Ezekiel? God asks. And, and it seems safe for us to, 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 to assume, no, not, not at all. There's no way they can. But Ezekiel's answer is better, truer, isn't it? Oh, Lord God, you know. I don't know. You know. We don't know what strategies might work. We don't know who might be receptive to an invite. We don't know who God's Spirit is already active and at work in their life. But God does, doesn't he? And so the application for those of us who are Christians here is to step out and have confidence. When we seek to tell others about Jesus Christ, we need to remember what happened to Ezekiel in this valley. We must know the power of the message that is given to us. And what the Spirit can do when we speak that message. The Word and the Spirit, they're the most powerful things in all the world. So Corinthians 4 verse 5 says that we are to preach Christ. But then it goes on in the next verse, verse 6, to say that the power that made the world, that created a universe, will then open blind eyes to call people to repent but it is he the Lord God who regenerates them he gives them the desire to do it you are not on your own I remember speaking at Middlesbrough University at an evangelistic event and I have to say without a hint of self-deprecation it was it was a terrible talk it was a really terrible talk I, I totally made a hash of my diary. I'd only had barely an hour in the university library beforehand to prepare. Um, and so, so it, was a, it was a car crash. I drove back up the road that night feeling utterly wretched that I'd let the Lord down, I'd let everybody down. Next week, I'm back there at the UniCU and I meet this girl. And I discover that that night, she responded to what she heard of the gospel of Christ. 
Anything that was lacking in me as a speaker was no problem to God's word in the power of his spirit. Remember also a young lad who was dragged along by a friend to a youth group that I was helping lead at the time. And uh, he, he was he, reluctant to come, but he was absolutely adamant <laughs> that he would never become a Christian. But then when he did, his mum was so amazed by the transformation that she insisted that every week he went along to church, he took her sister as well. <laughs> I think of my dad's alcoholic father who was converted after decades of addiction. Decades. Dad once said to me that his mum and he didn't so much see water turn into wine as beer turned into bread. Because all that money that used to waste on alcohol was, was now being spent on feeding his family. That's how desperate it become. But that's how amazing the transformation was through the power of the gospel. And I can think of countless more stories I could tell you. Uh, you could tell me my, yours, many of you. I know some of them. I could tell you mine. Because once, like me, you were one of the living dead. <coughs> Sleeping, eating, running around, worshipping football. Maybe that was just me. But barely giving a second thought to God. But then, Christ was preached and something came alive. I remember for me, it stopped me in my tracks. I, I, I felt appalled at how I had treated him. And amazed that it wasn't nails that kept him on the cross. But love. For me. I was born again. And if he did that for me, or he's done that for you, he can do that for anyone. Folks, that isn't just some vague possibility, so I'll say it again. If he did it for you, he can do it for anyone. We exist as a church, as a body of Christ, to share the message of life with a dead and dying world. And it's the only hope they've got, the only hope. Ezekiel knew that. The risen Christ proclaimed that. And we need to pray that we'll have the courage to speak that message. And that as we do, the Spirit of God will breathe life into what we do and bring people spiritually to life. He will open their blind eyes. That's what we're going to do now. We're going to turn to prayer. And Fiona's going to come and lead us in some prayers.